Welcome to the Consulting Growth Podcast. I'm Professor Joe Omani, a professor of consulting at Cardiff University and an advisor to consultancies that want to grow. If you'd like to find more out about me and access some free resources to help your consultancy grow, do please visit joeomani.com. That's J-O-E-O-M-A-H-O-N-E-Y.com. Thank you for coming back to us. It's Professor Joe Omani here with the Consultancy Growth Podcast. I have the absolute pleasure today of introducing Jessica Schaefer, who um, started and grew a fantastic strategic PR and communications firm that specializes in financial services, but also technology, and was recently sold to Avenue Z. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. I realize you're going to be incredibly busy, especially if you're still in the earnout period, but thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for having me. Could we kick off with you just giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and how your journey took you to starting Bevel? Sure. So I started my career in 2008 during, well, right before the Great Recession, which was an interesting time to start in financial communications. It was sort of a quick jolt (laughs) and learning into what it meant to deal with crisis communications. Some of my clients were RBC, RBS, which were undergoing bankruptcies, a lot of investment advisory firms who were working with Bernie Madoff. And it was certainly eye-opening, but it was the fastest way I think you can learn anything, which is on the grounds and in very tense situations. And then I was doing my MBA in investing analysis. I wasn't really interested in going into communications. I wanted to be an investment banker. I thought the industry didn't attract the highest quality of talent. And so I set out to do that. But when I graduated, everyone was like, what do you mean? You have so much personality and charisma. You are PR. You're meant to do PR. There are a lot of people who can sit behind a computer and do spreadsheets. So I ended up joining Moody's, which is the ratings agency largely blamed for the financial crisis because of their subprime mortgage ratings to reimagine the brand, talk about regulations and what they had done to change what they were doing. And from there, I moved around that organization. I had a a mentor, Linda Huber, who's the CFO, the most incredible woman I've met who we would have conversations in the bathroom. And that was sort of what led to our our early <laughs> mentorship. People always ask how you find a mentor. I think if you're lucky enough, maybe you could find one in the ladies room. But um, if you're a lady, what if you're a lady, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whichever, whichever bathroom you're in, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know, but there could be you could still have conversations about interest rates in the bathroom, surprisingly enough. And so I went into sales selling our credit risk solution to Goldman Sachs. And then I ended up being recruited to Point72, which is Steve Cohen's then family office now, $30 billion global hedge fund, and really worked with him to reposition the company and build the brand of Point72 and work on their comeback story. And launched his venture capital fund, Point72 Ventures, started working with the tech founders and CEOs who all separately tried to recruit me out to be their chief communications officer. And I thought, well, if one person says it, it's mm. like a rumor of two people says say it, there might be some validity. But if three people say, oh, you have to do this, then I thought, okay, why don't I start my own company? And that's when Bevel was founded in 2017. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's, and there's so many interesting 
things there. You have come very successful relatively quickly in terms of that journey. So I see this journey a lot from founding to exit. But even having the chance to work where you did at Moody's, to work at Point72 in the way you did, you could have stayed on that track. And you didn't have a lot of founders I speak to have 20 years experience behind them. And even then, they're scared about starting up by themselves. What gave you the confidence, apart from all the clients are one thing, also running the company is more than just about clients, it's like people and systems and marketing. And what gave you the confidence to say, I can do this? Well, it was a great track to be on and one many would not walk away from. Most of the people who were my colleagues and peers, they're still there in the same job and it's a great job to have. But mm -hmm. I really wanted to, when I saw an opportunity, there was so much money flowing into fintech and I had already, I had done it. I had changed the brand and it felt like we were about to embark on this like interesting journey in financial technology. At the time, it was still called that. There was no fintech. And you could see there were so many smart people and so much money falling into this category. But also, I wanted to create something different. There had always been this saying about PR firms, oh, they're wasting my money, they're wasting my time. And there wasn't a place where really smart strategists could go and work in this field directly with CEOs. I wanted to create a platform where women and diverse talent, no matter how old you are, I think that the wins on the board count a lot more than the years in the job. And so we pay everyone at Bevel based on performance. And we've applied the hedge fund based performance model to communication. So everyone has quarterly KPIs that are tracking towards what their clients are looking for. So number of media interviews, number of stories, awards, conferences, podcast opportunities. And then if they hit those, then it triggers a quarterly bonus. And we also pay based on retention of accounts. And so anyone who comes into the firm, no matter what their background is and their upbringing was, if they work really hard, they can make what they're worth. And mm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. My background and my area of expertise is really the management consulting industry, where it's relatively normal to have a set of KPIs similar to but not identical to the ones that you talk about in terms of reward. That's from what you're saying, that's relatively unusual in the PR communication space. I mean, in communications, I started out, I was making 34000 a year. I could have made more working at McDonald's. Different kind of industry, but I think you've seen more and more, especially with all of these social channels and everyone being on their phone and everybody having access to a communications platform, mm -hmm. your reputation matters more than anything and your digital footprint online is really important. And so we started to see that communications became a very valued career. And it's something where if it's done wrong, if you take mm -hmm. a look at WeWork, it leads to the downfall of a company. And so the companies we work with, the CEOs who look at us as their trusted advisor, they realize that and they invest a lot of time and their personal energy into it. Okay, thank you. And I presume that's a wonderful mechanism for attracting great talent, because if I'm a high performer, but I'm not necessarily getting rewarded for my high performance, I'm going to look at someone like Bevel and think, wow, you know, actually here, not only can I make a difference, but I'm also going to get paid for making a difference. 
I mean, right away at any point in your career, you're interacting with some of the top visionaries and leaders who we work with the the founder of Venmo or working with people who have created technology that has changed our lives and you don't have that opportunity everywhere. So we recruit people from Goldman, McKinsey, former entrepreneurs. We do recruit people from uh, PR firms, but I would say that's less where we find our talent from. And people are really interested in that. And part mm-hmm. of our payment is also for early stage companies, typically we'll work with a company from seed all the way through IPO or acquisition. And so we'll take equity in those brands and we've had multiple exits. So if you're one of those people working on building a brand, I think you should also have access to that equity and be paid just in the same way as as if you were joining an early stage tech company. Okay, well, that's a really interesting point there, because one of the things that you hear very often in terms of advice for founders is know your buyer, you've got like this better than I do, you've got the whole avatar thing, almost getting down to their psychological as well as business needs. With a diverse set, if you're dealing with everyone from founders all the way down pre-seed, seed, first round VC, etc., That's quite a diverse set of needs. So did you start off servicing one type of client? And if not, and even now, how do you service all those different needs? We sort of operate like a venture fund. So a certain percentage of our clients are early stage, a certain percentage are later stage growth. And then you are right, as as we started taking companies public and we started working with public companies, that required a whole other set of services that, quite frankly, three years ago, we didn't have. So we started to build those out. We started to build a larger team. We opened offices. I mean, offices for us were still a thing because we're creatives. And if you're a great publicist, you want to be around people. So there was no one who, during COVID, wanted to work at home. You know, we're not a team of, of engineers. So we have offices in New York, LA, Miami, and London. Um, and then we started outsourcing some of these things to other agencies. And that's when the idea of a potential partnership or acquisition became really attractive. I had a number of competitors reach out to me with offers for the company and I had considered it, but they were the same. They were the same kinds of firms as us. And so it didn't really make sense to me. What I thought was attractive about Avenue Z is they bring a completely different skill set to the table. Okay. I'm going to get on to Avenue Z in a second. I want to talk briefly about the growth journey. Obviously, you'd had some really interesting experience. You'd got some great mentors. Um, You'd worked in some large companies. You hadn't started up this type of company before, but you'd done your MBA. What were the surprising challenges that you came across when you were growing the company from one to, to 40 odd? What were the things that surprised you and how did you overcome them? How did you meet those challenges? I think there were many. It's hard. There's no other way to say it than it's certainly hard. I think it took a toll on my personal relationships. And as a founder, I didn't take in any outside capital. I grew the company. We were sort of a cash cow because immediately we had three clients. So we were this whole idea of not being a profitable company, we were profitable day one as soon as I opened my laptop. And we had exceptional growth. I mean, year over year growing at 
100% doubling, tripling. Uh, COVID was a great year for us because every single company that was in fintech, sure. no one was going to their bank. Everybody was on their phone. And so all of our retainers doubled. I think for me, finding talent in this industry and especially training them during COVID was incredibly hard. It was not easy. And so now we have a lot of training programs in place that we didn't have before. But managing that and also closing clients and working with, I still do the PR for, for some of our top clients. That was a real challenge. And it wasn't until I would say more so recently that we really started building out the senior team in the last two years. And that has been so helpful. And I'm so grateful because now I actually have a personal life. Whereas before, I mean, if you're the founder and you want to build a successful company, there is no such thing. I often hear these founders about work-life balance and, and all of these things. But I think if in the early stages, if you want to be successful, you have to be really selfish. And part of being selfish is sacrificing some of your, well, most of your personal time. Yes, it is. It, I mean, it's one thing taking on a board, but it's another thing getting them up and running. So that even that finding the right people, getting the systems, the governance, the structure, the decision making right is a challenge in itself. But it is, I see it a lot because especially that shift from kind of 30 people to 50 people, I think very often you start to formalize things, you start to delegate as a leader, you can almost see the relief on people's faces when they don't have to do everything at a senior level. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the build up to acquisition. So obviously that with your growth and I'm presuming your margins as well, you know, your, your clients are generally not short of what we would call in the UK a bob or two. You're going to be an attractive purchase or partner for many different types of organizations. How did you approach the equity event? How long before did you start preparing and what were the challenges that you faced in that process? So the process took about six months, okay, um, good. but we had many offers before then. Sure. And then once I saw that there was interest and there was some real interest, that's when I decided, okay, maybe it makes sense to look at this more aggressively, do evaluation of the company, work with a banker and really figure out like what the, the market valuation was for the firm. The due diligence process was three months. That's actually pretty quick. Yeah, not bad. We were really aggressive in terms of getting the buyer, the potential buyer now, what they needed. And so that that took a lot of work, a lot of sleepless nights, I would say. But it's similar to, to anything else. It's building relationships. It's finding the right chemistry. There were a lot of offers. There were offers that were more attractive than this one from like a a qualitative or a cash component. But what I liked about this team and specifically Jeff Herzog was he built a company. He built, he was like the king of SEO and he had sold his company to Hearst Media for about 500 million. And I was at the New York Stock Exchange and this was when he and I had were having a conversation. And I met another woman at Hearst Media who, know, who knew him really well. And she was just like, yeah, I mean, it was such a great deal. And he knows how to build a really successful company. And I always like working with people I can learn something from. And I think I got the company as, as far as I could to the stage that I could without like, completely giving up, yep. you know, a personal I, personal life. And I didn't have a co-founder. So it's nice to have a real team and a support system so that now we can build the company and, and take it internationally and take it to the next level. Yeah, I was saying to Ali, one of your consultants, uh, before you, you joined the call, that what you did is remarkable 
for many reasons. I mean, I obviously speak to a lot of founders and a lot of people that have successfully sold their firms. But number one, you didn't have any co-founders, which makes life hard. I mean, hard psychologically as well as operationally. Number two, you weren't in an easy space. It's not like PR is a new thing like AI that was just invented and you, you know, you had an expanding field to sell to. And Number three, you hadn't got a black book of 30 years experience that you could just phone up and old friends that you went to school with um, or whatever, you, you know, you've worked with over the last 30 years. So, And the fourth thing, it seems to me, I, I don't want to go into the details financially, but it seems to me that you sold for a good, good multiple, let's say, in an industry that doesn't usually receive high multiples. So obviously you overcame a lot of challenges there, whether you knew you were overcoming them or not at the time. What allowed you to be as successful as you were despite those challenges. So I'm especially interested in the multiple because I'm guessing that you got a high multiple of your EBITDA, which I'm guessing would have been good anyway, based upon your clients. But I'm interested in what allowed you to do that when so many other people would have struggled in your situation. Oh, yes, you are right. Uh, we did have a high multiple for our industry, and it was based on even a lot of that was because we have reoccurring revenue. So we're not a project based firm. We believe in building long term brands. If you look at our portfolio and our client list, these are companies that stay with us for a long time, which is very rare in the PR and communications world. Typically, there's a high churn, and that's just the nature of the business, but I really think it comes down to the team they're recruiting and how they're approaching the craft because they just like take talent from other agencies and it's like bad data in, bad data out. Not yeah. to say that everybody's bad, but yeah. like if you invest early on in the talent and we have a great internship program, a great associate program, Allie, who you mentioned has been with the firm a long time. She had created her own company. So she also understands what it means to be a founder and to build and to be in it with these tech entrepreneurs. And so that's something that they love about Bevel. We have that hustle that we have the grit. And I think that comes from partly my upbringing. I grew up in upstate New York. I didn't come from a super wealthy family or a wealthy family. And I worked since I was 11 years old. Like I was a dancer and my mom said, if you want to be in every dance competition, which I did, of course, because I'm ridiculous and overambitious in everything that I do. She's like, you need to teach dance and pay for all your own costumes. Like that's the only way this is happening. I'm a long-term cancer survivor. So I had an incurable form of cancer when I was young and I think that's something that sort of shaped my outlook on life. I was always in and out of the hospital getting testing done. And it's different when you grow up like that. So my view and the people I've surrounded myself with, I've always just like taken everything as I feel really lucky that I've had this opportunity that I get to interact with the kinds of people we get to interact with every single day and that we've created a platform where you have that access. Like, I almost still can't believe it, to be honest. It's sure. sort of like, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I'm fortunate enough to see both sides of the equation because I obviously advise founders and then I'm with them with the sale. I, I don't deal with a financial transaction myself, but then very often see them on the other side. And 
There is that state of disbelief sometimes of like, <laughs> what just happened? Is just it real? Happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still yeah. asking myself what just happened. <laughs> And okay, so this is a good point really to ask what's next. Obviously, the world of communications is changing and the world of tech is changing. And obviously, there's overlap as well between, you know, obviously all the stuff in the news about AI, generative AI and what what it can do. So what's next for Bevel in its relationship with Avenue Z? So you might have seen just yesterday, we announced that we acquired an SEO content company with a focus on AI. And we've also made another acquisition of a firm called Snow, which focuses on paid growth and marketing. And so it's really exciting because now we have these three pillars. We have digital marketing, PR, an influencer. And so with that, you know, we can really break through the noise for any of our clients. We're working with mm. A lot of public companies now working on their influencer and consumer marketing strategies, which is exciting. It's fun. We recently took one of our clients public, better.com, and their focus now is how do we get investors involved in the company? And so I think that's an exciting area to be in. And then on the other side, I mean, we historically, we've always been in, we worked with a lot of hedge funds, private equity, fintech, doe, web3. And now we have a much broader consumer product portfolio. And so working, people say they're the fun brands. Maybe they're the fun brands. I will always like the financial markets because I think it's the most interesting, but we are working with a lot of those bigger consumer product companies. Okay. Really interesting story. And one thing that stands out to me is, I mean, there were lots of lots of ingredients to your secret sauce. You're obviously one of them. But I think something that really stands out is the way you crafted your the employee side of things. And I always say to my clients that you compete in two markets. One is for clients, but one is for people and what you do with them. And it seems to me that you've built, you found great people, but you've also built a a system internally and strategy internally that allows you to offer something differentiates the company. When I think early talent that's coming out of college now and earlier stage talent, they really want to work on things that are meaningful. I mean, we work with a lot of mission-oriented brands, but they also want to own something. And I remember when I first worked at a PR firm, I was just working on Media List. Like there wasn't a lot of opportunity to actually create and show that you were doing something. And mm. at Bevel. We put people in positions of power and we're also there. I think there's a lot of learning when you fail. And most of the team at Bevel, they only fail once and then (laughs) they don't fail again. But being able to really own something and see your work is really important. And I think it just, that's what attracts the top people at the firm. So, yeah, great. Again, says a lot about you because I have dealt with several founders who can't let go and don't want to delegate even if they know it's the right thing to be to be doing and which means they become a bottleneck and those bright ambitious people tend to leave because they don't have the freedom yeah and i will say not to make it a gender issue but there have been a lot of studies on that women the reason they don't get past you know a million in revenue or 10 million in revenue is because oftentimes they don't delegate and that was something very early on I delegate. I try. I would say maybe sometimes I over delegate, but let's just say we had a separate finance department right away. We I started hiring right away. I over invested in the company and always paid myself the least amount possible to invest in the team because I felt like that was the only way we were going to grow. 
Finally, on, on that note, as, as you bring it up, the you mentioned the diversity thing. You mentioned just now the you know female versus male thing in terms of delegation. In terms of being a younger, successful founder, in terms of being female, and in terms of not coming from a wealthy WASP family, to what extent has that been a disadvantage? Any of those things, have they been a disadvantage? But listening to you, actually, it sounds like some of them have actually been an advantage because they've almost given you a personality that's driven to succeed. So is it a bit of both? Definitely a younger, I'm in YPO and I'm like the youngest person in many of the YPO groups, especially this female. And a lot of our clients really rallied behind it. Alan Patrikoff, he is the grandfather of venture capital. He basically created VC. He's 88 and he was our third client. Right. And he said to me, hey, you'll never forget the person who gave you, you know, your first dollar. And this was like, he didn't invest in Bevel, but he was, I mean, he's been a client this entire time. And he's someone who just really put, he saw something in me. There have been a lot of people who have seen something in me and he invested so much of his personal time, really just shaping me, shaping the team, making sure we were aware to watch our bottom line when COVID was happening and, you know, watch that mo- the money that comes in and the money that goes out like a hawk and calling people at 7 a.m., making sure they're... <laughs> They're on it and they're calling their clients back within 24 hours. So, you know, there have just been a lot of people. I think if you take sometimes people look at being young as, oh, well, I don't have it yet or I don't have enough experience. And I hear this all the time from friends, too, which they might not still nice. be my friend because it drives me insane. But it's just yep. like. I think you need to, my mom, she was someone who always instilled a lot of confidence in me and told me, you know, you need to work your assets, honey. And she meant something different by that. But like, you always need to work with what you have. And people want to help young people succeed. It Mm. feels good to give back myself included. So if someone who's young and hungry reaches out to me, oftentimes I'll spend more time with the interns or a junior associate if I see they really have that spark and that desire to win because you can you can shape them into some of the best strategists in the world. So I don't think it was a disadvantage. The only thing that was, it's like you get to a certain age and as a woman, I was like, oh my God, you haven't had kids yet. It, there's a lot of pressure in, in that vein to sort of do it all and do it at the same time. And in your 30s and early 40s, this is when I think your career either sort of stays the same mm. forever. Like you stay in that VP level and you don't advance or you take off. And so I do think women have it tougher just because of that. Yeah. One of the first interviewees I had on here was Sarah Matthew, who was at WPP, started her own communications firm, eventually sold it. But when she left WPP, somebody who she wouldn't name, but we can probably guess who it was, sort of in effect gave her a pat on the head and said, um, you'll never make it by yourself, little lady. And eventually he came after her in terms of wanting to buy the company. And she said it was one of the happiest days of her life when she had to turn him down and went with someone else instead. So I love hearing those types of stories. Jessica, thank you so much for your time. It's a brilliant story. And congratulations on everything you've done with Bevel. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Take care. As ever, thank you for listening to the Consultancy Growth Podcast. This is Professor Joe Omani at joeomani.com. 